Welcome into the Wednesday Bible Study. We are so thankful that you uh, are taking time to be with us today. Uh, we are in the book of 2 Corinthians. This is, uh, this is a, a letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. Uh, it has a, a fascinating uh, background in history, and we've been unpacking that. Well, today we'll be in chapter 5, if you want to make your way there. We'll probably go through verses 1 through 11, uh, and we'll unpack those here today if you want to go ahead and turn. Uh, this Wednesday Bible study, or whatever day you may be watching and listening, if you are catching the archive, uh, is brought to you by themanchurch.com. Themanchurch.com is a men's discipleship strategy. That there's a hub there uh, that can uh, we give you all the information that you need and, and, a, and a strategy that can right out of Scripture. Uh, we then provide the resources that uh, you'll need uh, for that strategy. Uh, we, we do uh, events and services, which is part of the, the high challenge part of the strategy, but we also provide curriculum and uh, individual resources for men, uh, either for small groups or for just individuals, for the uh, you know equipping part, uh, the discipleship part, where we grow spiritually. All that can be found at themanchurch.com. In 2024, we have two conferences uh, that are that are coming to Birmingham, Alabama, and to Startville, Mississippi. Uh, they are There's still seats available. Uh, you can get those by going to themanchurch.com, and you can also click on uh, either Birmingham or you can click on Startville. You'll see the itinerary for e- each weekend, and you'll also see which speakers will be speaking there. And we'll also be introducing uh, a brand-new curriculum and a brand-new, uh, well, actually two brand-new individual resources uh, that'll be brand-new this year. Okay, so all that's coming up. If you'd like to get your tickets or find out more, uh, Startville, Mississippi, March 8th and 9th, Birmingham, February 16th and 17th. Let's open up in a word of prayer, and let's jump right into our study today. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to unpack your holy word. Uh, Thank you, Lord, for the power of the Holy Spirit in reminding us today uh, to to put uh, this life here on earth in the proper perspective. Uh, But there should be much peace that comes with your words today. Uh, May you apply them to us. We are living uh, as we have since the fall in in a very chaotic time. Uh, We can feel the groanings of this earth. We feel the groanings from our flesh uh, and just the desire, and, and the, even if we won't acknowledge it, the desire that we need to be redeemed. Uh, and Lord, go with us as we unpack your holy word. Give us the discernment from the power of the Holy Spirit. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so let's do that. Let's, let's go to, I said 1 Corinthians, let's go to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 5. Pardon me if I said 1 Corinthians other, uh, earlier, uh, or as it was famously called one time, 2 Corinthians. So anyway, so we go to, to 2 Corinthians, and we are in chapter 5. For those of you uh, those of you that are new to this Bible study, and you're like, I, I missed the background. I, I didn't get the background. You can go back and catch those archives. Uh, go to themanchurch.com. Uh, there's a media button there. You hover over that. And you, there's a drop down that'll drop down. And they'll say you want to watch this or you want to listen to this. You can do either and go back and catch maybe some uh, some of the uh, uh, the sessions that, that you missed. Or if you ever do miss one, you can do that. Uh, I'll give you a brief background because I'm not going to go as deep as we have in the past because it'll be repetitive to some of the men and some of the women uh, who are watching uh, and the men that are here in the room that were here for all that. So the bottom line is this. We have 1 Corinthians. We feel pretty good that that was the first letter that Paul wrote to the church at Corinth. But after that, uh, we know there were more than two letters and one of them is missing. Uh, we have not been able to find it. No one has. That may be by design because apparently Paul 
is second guessing a little bit, not the stuff that he was inspired to say by the Holy Spirit, but maybe maybe things that he 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 had to say from his flesh. Uh, and we know that the relationship between him and this church has been kind of a, a high and a low. We know there's factions that are against him. We know there are others that are devoted to him, certainly, uh, and he's discipling them. So he's he's had a lot of conflict. He's even been physically harmed and physically attacked. Uh, he's had threaten uh, people threaten his life that are after him. And he said, because of all this, I, I told you I was going to come back. I'm going to change those plans. I'm not going to come back when I said I did. Uh, I said I was going to. Uh, and then he, he defended uh, that just because he was changes, changing his plans did not make him out to be a heretic or a false teacher. And he defended his integrity there. And and now we've kind of, last, last time we talked in, in chapter 4, uh, he was really talking about our present tribulation. That, that was last week, and, and I got a lot of good emails from all of you and for all of you out there, and I felt it too. That was a powerful Bible study last week because he's reminding us, as Jesus reminded us, that in this fallen creation and in our fallen state, tribulation is just part of it. It's, it's, it, it, is, it is always there lurking. Now, one day that's all going to be resolved, but he said we're not to that place yet, and we're going to talk about that because that's going to be his focus this week. Uh, so he's going to move from saying, let me tell you, don't be shocked by present tribulation. But what we're about to do, he says, but I do want to move on, and I want to talk about our uh, the, the perspective of transformation. He said, look, we, we, we're going to live in tribulation, but the reason why you should be at peace about that is because of the ongoing transformation. And, and I want to land there for just a minute. If if, if I think, I think, and it, I heard this in a, in a Bible study uh, uh, that was taught to me this past Sunday, and I believe uh, that Barry, our teacher, uh, was referencing um, Lloyd Jones on this. Martin Lord uh, Lloyd Jones. I'm pretty sure it was his statement. He said, "If you want to truly understand the transformation, which would be the sanctification part of things, you, you've got to stop managing sin and you've got to mortify sin." And and the problem that we have, I had this problem. And one of the struggles, even after you've been redeemed, is when you're redeemed, if you take the attitude that now I must manage my sin as opposed to, oh, no, now I must mortify my sin. That's, those are two completely different things. If we're just going to take the role of managing it, then we still have it. We're never going to be done with it, and it's always going to hold us back. What Paul is saying, no, you've been given the power of God. First John talks about this. You, you have God's seed now, the Holy Spirit. So there really is no excuse for us not to have the power to mortify our sin and to be completely transformed by Jesus. Not by our own power, but you have access to the power where we can be transformed. So he's going he's gonna to really drive this home in, in, in the first five verses when he's going to talk about Keep thinking. This is going to echo a little bit from First Corinthians. Do you remember? You know why it was written by the same guy. So First Corinthians, if you remember, in chapter fifteen, I said this last week. I'll say it again. Just about every time I do a funeral, I, I reference these verses because the people there need to hear it. And and what Paul is is talking about is this great change that must take place and will take place. And what is that change? Getting rid of this. You're going to now. We're going to get a little deep this week on on something people have have talked about. Uh, this great question that Paul's going to deal with. He's not going to shy away from it. He's going to deal with it. And I hope he'll answer it for you today and for me, uh, as I've been studying it. He already has. But but anyway, because a lot of times people will say things, and it's okay for us to say, "Is that something that you say, or is that something actually in the Bible?" 
Because there's a lot of things get thrown around that aren't in the Bible. And, and if you research some of them, they're like quotes from like Benjamin Franklin or, uh, you know, there, there might be a, a quote from, you know, some famous, you know, uh, a philosopher. Uh, you want to ask the question, is this actually in the Bible? And today, one of these things that you've probably heard about, but you wondered, can I bank on it? Well, you'll find out it's in the Bible. So that's here today. And he wants to talk about that great change. And, and so look, look at uh, chapter, uh, chapter 5, verse 1. And he says, for we know, underline that, anytime Scripture says that in our, in our language, English, in our English language, anytime a writer of Scripture inspired by the Holy Spirit says, for we know something, that means it's not up for debate. That means we need to take it and apply it to our life. We can count on this, for we know this. Not we hope this or, or, or we wish this. We know this, okay? Every little thing in the Bible is important. Don't let any of it get by you. For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Now, don't miss what we just talked about last week. What's that? Tribulation. So what he's saying is, and what did Jesus tell us? Don't be concerned about people that can kill the tent or kill the body. You really should fear the one that can take your eternal self, your spirit, and could damn it for eternity. That's who you are to fear. Well, what does that mean? Well, it also means that it might be allowed by God that people that don't like us may actually be allowed to kill us. That actually may happen. And, and what, what, uh, what Paul is telling us, what Jesus was telling us, don't worry about them. Because what they're going to do, you're just going to free you anyway if you're redeemed. But I would be concerned about what's going to happen to your eternal self. That I would be concerned about. And, of course, he's going to talk about that again as we get to our last verse today. So he's saying that, now don't miss this about a tent. Our body, he's using the analogy, your body's just a tent. Now, now remember, John had told us that Jesus, the Word, and what did John say uh, in chapter 1 of our study of the Gospel of John, verse 14, John tells us that Jesus, the Word, became flesh and dwelt among us. Dwelt. Uh, th- this is a word, I don't know if I'm saying it right in, in Greek, skino. I, th- I, I, I know it's a long go at the end. Well, what this meant is to pitch a tent or a tabernacle. So if you really want to look at what John was saying in Greek, what he was saying is Jesus, the Word of God, was made flesh and made tabernacle with us. He, he, he was with us. He, he, he took his holy tent, the tabernacle. If you really want to get deep, when, when Jesus, the Son, took on human flesh and said, I will now become 100% man while remaining 100% God, Jesus became a walking, talking tabernacle. Because God's presence, the Holy of Holies, here he is. Okay, And he's walking among us. Remember what the Gospel of John was all about. What's the, what's the theme of the Gospel of John? Behold the God-man. Okay, so, so Paul is referencing that because he's saying that, that just like what Jesus took on flesh, we take on flesh. Now, we're not God until we're redeemed. Aha. So when we're redeemed, he's saying, guess what? We can make this same claim. We can claim that where outer body is 100% man, but unlike Jesus, it is sinful. 
But we also can, play, can, can now claim as redeemed people that God now dwells in us. So if the tent goes away, the part that God's redeemed and made eternal is fine. Okay, so that, that, there ought to be a lot of hope in that, guys. I'm telling you, one of the first things that I have said, if you've ever had the, op- it's, I wouldn't say opportunity because it's probably not something to be wished for, but if you ever granted, well, I guess it is, granted the opportunity to watch someone you love die, which I just had, it just happened, I've done it before, but it, if you know the person's redeemed, and we literally said this because especially if, they, if it's something like what my dad went through, somebody who was suffering with something, and, and, they, and the person that you knew and loved really has already gone through sickness, through Alzheimer's, through whatever, and that person's being taken away at a slow pace in front of you. If that person is redeemed, and I, and, and I said it in the room, the minute he took that last breath, which we all saw, the first thing I thought of is he's made whole. Alzheimer's don't have any hold on him anymore. He's whole. That's what Paul's talking about. His tent's gone, but it's just a tent. Okay, and if you if you know much about this, and and I had the 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 pleasure of walking through an entire series about the tabernacle in my home church, uh, Mac Brunson taught this incredible series on the tabernacle and how the tabernacle was was has had had all the foreshadowings of Jesus and all that was coming. But really, if you walked up to the tabernacle and just saw it from the outside, it's not there's not a lot to it. It's made with seal skin. It was. It was. It, there was nothing glorious about it. But oh, once you got on the inside, now that's a whole different thing. Now we got gold, and we've got we got all these precious metals, and and so he's comparing that to what's inside now when you're redeemed compared to what's outside, and so and so Paul wants us to understand that Jesus came down from heaven to pitch his tent among us, and again the the outward appearance not impressive. I know that's difficult for us to think sometimes because so many artists have glorified the human appearance of Jesus. Scripture doesn't say that. Scripture actually tells us that if you didn't know who Jesus was and he was just walking down the street, you wouldn't pay him any mind. He was nothing physically that would get your attention. What got your attention is when he began to speak because now you're hearing the voice of God. So, but they said they were, they don't picture that Jesus walked into the room and everybody said, "Well, there comes an impressive human being." Uh, scripture says that's actually not true. Now, if you saw him in the Revelation, now that's different. Uh, when he comes on the scene again, all that's over. But, but at the time, that just like, but keep in mind, this is reflecting the Jewish tabernacle on the outside, not all that impressive, seal skins inside, gold and costly linen. So Jesus' outward human body, though it appeared to be ordinary, the glory of the Lord was covered by just some ordinary tent. But inside that tent is the glory of God himself. Somebody say amen to that. So, so he, he, if I could over, and this might be an overplay, and I'm sure I'll get the emails if it is, Jesus was the tabernacle. He walked around, as I said before, as, as, as tabernacle. He made tabernacle with us. That I'm not going to apologize for because that's Scripture. But um, so here's what he, Paul is trying to say, and I know it blows my mind. The power of God is so gracious, and it can be wrathful, no doubt about that, and we're going to talk about that. But think of the grace that God has made available to those who are willing to repent and receive this gift, 
that his son provided, what he is saying is this. You too, because we, we says we will be co-heirs with Christ, you too, when you are redeemed, can walk around with a tent that's dying but still have inside that tent the glory of the one and only living God. And why do we act like it's something so much less? Well, it just really has no power. I, I fall for the same garbage everybody else does. No, then you're letting the tent run things, not the glory of the Lord. And Paul is saying, why are you so concerned about losing this tent that's nothing but a hassle to you anyway? Anybody ever feel like everybody get tired of dragging this thing around? I certainly do. Uh, and, uh, you know, how many times have you done something like Paul talks about in Romans 7? And, and he's talking about that. He said, I'm so sick of my sin nature. I'm just sick about it. He's furious with himself. I know what to do. And I still keep doing stupid things. Anybody relate to that? But he said the day's going to come when that tent that keeps causing that problem is going to be gone. And we'll be, we'll be in perfection. Now we're going to talk about, what, about this one thing I know we talk about a lot, and I just experienced it, so I, it's, it's very fresh. The temp is temporal. And as our bodies get old, just like a tent, just like something we build, as our body gets old and it starts wearing out, and how many people can feel that your tent is getting wore out? Okay. John Quincy Adams, I thought this was a great quote. John Phillips showed me this quote. I thought this was great. Somebody, this is legend about John Quincy Adams, who was a devout follower of Christ. They asked John Quincy Adams one day, he said, so John, how's John Quincy Adams today? And he said, I, John Quincy Adams, actually, I'm quite well. He said, but the house in which John Quincy Adams lives in is growing very old. And he said, he said, the thatch is wearing thin. And he said, uh, he said, I think John Quincy Adams, talking about himself in third person, will soon have to move out, but he himself is actually very well. That, that's it, isn't it? My spirit and who I really am and my soul, we're fine. But boy, the house we live in is really wearing out. And I think I'm going to have to move here pretty soon. So, uh, so Paul says that the house that we are living in, the tent, our bodies, will be overthrown completely. Completely. But Paul has good news about what? What replaces the tent. He has very good news about that. Look what he says uh, in 1B. He says, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in heaven. For in this tent we groan longing to put on our heavenly dwelling, if indeed by putting it on we may not be found naked. Anybody feel that? Just like we're talking about the frustration of this tent. We groan. As long as we're in this body, we groan. Something's always wrong with it. Have you ever had, I don't, you know, anybody, well, I hope nobody in here does insurance for a living because I love you. I really do. And, and I've done some research. I do think there are some of you and even some lawyers are going to get into heaven, but, but I don't think there's going to be many of you. Okay, so, so anyway, what do we always find out about insurance? They set it up so they never have to pay you, right? And then they keep telling you of all the horrible things that can happen to you if you don't keep paying these premiums, and they're your friend until the premiums now you want to cash them in. Then everything gets real complicated. You know, suddenly all these things they have to check on to see if they're ever going to give you a check. And uh, I just went through this with my mother in memory care for my dad. Let me tell you what a lot of these places are doing to our elderly 
and are doing to our senior citizens, they ought to rot in hell for it. Okay, and 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 they need to repent because all they do is soak them out of every dime they got, and they know they got them, and they got them in a corner. They ain't nothing they do, and the care that you desperately need, they just keep going up and up. And the and the renting and, and the place you need, they just right everywhere they stay, they raise it every year without without it, and they just keep on going up, keep on. Oh, by the way, that we you know what you need, and what we we finally taking this burden off of you, but it'll cost you more next year, and the year after that, and the year after that, until we suck you dry. And oh, by the way, when you want us to start paying our part, we, we you know we have ninety days. We don't have to pay, so we got to come up with this money for ninety days. We didn't know that. Well, it was in the paperwork, but we'll get those checks to you at some point. Uh, and, and oh, by the way, uh, we're going to get rid of you as soon as we possibly can. But but anyway, so like I've said, it, insurance really is this. Car insurance is what we say to the insurance company. I bet I'll have a wreck. You know what the insurance company says? I bet you won't. It, what 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 is life insurance? I bet, I, I bet I'll die young. That's what we say. And the insurance company says, we think you won't. Uh, what's hospital insurance? We say, I bet I get real sick. And they say, we bet you won't. I mean, that's really the arrangement we get into, and we see who wins. Uh, but, but anyway, so um, my mother paid premiums on long-term care insurance for 23 years, and they treated her like she was a criminal when she decided to cash it in. Uh, but anyway, so, so – but that's, that's – the tent didn't like it very much, but anyway. So, uh, so, so anyway, that that's another topic. But what's what's happening here is what Paul is talking about, and and he he's saying that he says, but you must understand that we will get paid full what Jesus did for us. He's not going to take that back when the tent goes away, and he goes, well, you know, I don't know about this. I know I promised you a glorified body, and I promised you that everything would be okay. I'm going to come back and take that back. Or you didn't read the fine print. There's none of that. What 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 Paul is saying is there, there's a groaning that is taking place in this tent, and, and, and we're burdened by the tent. And he goes, but here's the thing that we have to uh, have to be remember, that what is waiting on us has been made by the hand of God. Don't forget, this is important. I read this in a lot of the commentary. Don't forget that the body itself was not a problem. God created the body, and that was a beautiful creation. It's sin that messed that up. So God's not against a body. He's against sin and what sin has done to the body. So sometimes don't get in the mind that we're going to be these disembodied, you know, we're, we're out there, we don't, you can't, we're just a vapor of some sort of spirit. That's not what Paul's saying. That is not true. Okay, and Paul says, and because that's not what God intended, he says one thing you can you can bank on that you that the one thing we know that when your outer covering dies, you won't be naked. He's provided another body for you. That's perfect. Now we'll get into a little deeper on that, and stay with me. I'm going to get there, and and so he says we should not fear losing the covering, uh, and and Paul says I am sure of this. Now he's going to speak to those, and this is the one that really is the question we always ask. Some people fight about it. Some people disagree about it. Let's go to Scripture, right? Let's go. To, does it ever infuriate you when somebody gets in some sort of theological debate with you and you realize you're not even talking about what it says in the Bible? Let's, let, let's go to Scripture, and then let's look at it, and then let's talk about what Scripture says. What you're saying isn't even in the Bible. So, uh, you know, and, and always be cautious of people who say this. Well, here's what I believe. I couldn't give a rip what you believe. I want to know what the Bible says. I want to know what God says. Now, if you want to say, here's what I think the Bible is saying, 
Now, we can have that talk, but I couldn't give two cents about what you believe because you're flawed and you're, you may be coming up with something to accommodate yourself. I want to know what Scripture says, and we can discuss an agreement or disagreement about what Scripture says, but we're not going to discuss this just cause. This is how I feel about it. That's irrelevant, okay? So there's a lot of things in the Bible that I look at. You know, I, I remember C.S. Lewis talking about that. He goes, if I could change one thing, I would, I would change the fact that it appears a lot of people are going to hell. I wish I could change that, but I can't. Apparently they are, but I wish I could change it. Okay, what the Apostle Paul said, he wished he could just somehow make the Hebrews acknowledge Jesus as as Lord and Savior and Messiah. He said, if I could do it, I would. But I can't, you know, I can't ignore the truth that if you reject him, you got problems. Okay, so so here's what he says. Here's what he's going to talk about next. I think we're all in agreement that if you are here when Jesus Christ comes back, you will receive your resurrection body. Okay, and you you will be glorified instantly and you'll be called to Jesus in the air. But it says the dead in Christ will be raised first. So we do also agree with no hesitation that those dead in Christ will, will, will the, the body that's rotted away, they'll be given a glorified body at the day of the Lord. Okay. Uh, the rapture, however you, you see that. Okay. Here's where everybody seems to debate. Where is my loved one right now? In what state are they? The final heaven's not done, okay? The final earth is not here. That We laid their tent in the ground. Don't want to be grotesque, but we know it's not faring well. So what is their spirit doing now if they don't have their resurrection body? And they don't have the resurrection body because we haven't had the day of the Lord yet. So what are they? And so Paul says, I'm not afraid of that question. I'll, I'll take that question on, and, he, and he's laying that out. He says that, they, that, that God is providing really an in-between. God will take care of those people, and they will be recognizable, and they will be in the presence of God, and they are not in the ground. They're not asleep. Uh, they're not disembodied spirits. That, that, that have, have no body of any kind, they're, they're not like that. He said, I'll tell you exactly what it is. God is going to be sure they're not naked, disembodied. God will have a body for them that will be almost an in-between. But they will be they know who they are, they know who everybody else is, they know who the Lord is, and they're waiting. We'll all get our glorified body, our resurrection body together, but they are not disembodied spirits or they're not asleep and not don't know what's going on. It's neither one of those. And, and I know a lot of people throw those things around, but Scripture is going to tell you right here. So, so Paul goes on to say, he says in, in, verse, uh, in verse 4, For while we are still in this tent, we groan being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He who has prepared us for the for this very thing, God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. He says, if you wonder what happens to the redeemed at the moment of their earthly death, uh, whether they're disrobed of, 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 of the body, but they're not disrobed, and what happens to their, their spirit and their soul, they're, they're, not let, uh, they're not launched into eternity uh, naked, they're not disembodied. Remember this. Go back to Jesus' interaction with the demons. What was the biggest fear of the demons? Don't let us be disembodied. Don't let us be. we got to have a host. 
if you're going to kick us out of this body, put us some in another body. They were even willing to go into pigs as opposed to be disembodied. So if this is such a terror to be a disembodied spirit, God is not going to put that on the redeemed. Even the demons didn't want to be disembodied. That was punishment. So the, the redeemed are not disembodied spirit waiting on the day of the Lord. That, that's not what's happening. And, and uh, at death and resurrection, the Holy Spirit that raised uh, Jesus from the dead ensures the resurrection principle is at work in the redeemed, but it's at work in the redeemed. Now, this is where you can get a little deep. It's at work in the redeemed already. Okay, this, this, I mean, right now, if you're redeemed and you're sitting here, the, the principle of the resurrection is already in play. It's in play right now because your tent is dying, but you're not going to die. You have eternal life provided by what? The Holy Spirit that has redeemed you that says you will spend eternity in a perfect body, in a, eventually in a glorified resurrection body, in the presence of the Lord. But the fact that sin leads to eternal death and, and, and redemption leads to eternal life, the resurrection principle is at work in the redeemed right now. And, and Paul says, so don't lose hope, lose hope. Keep that at the forefront. If they kill you, so what? If your body dies, so what? If your body's getting sick, it's about to go ahead. You're, you're going to be all right. You're going to be, and he, and he goes on to these words that we've talked about a lot. He says this. He says what? He says, so we are always a good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. See, right now, he says, there's a separation between us and the Lord. Our spirit is, is in concert with the Lord, but our bodies actually are sinful. So our sinful flesh, it keeps some distance between us and the Lord. So while the tent is on us, we can only get so close to the Lord. But th then he says, but here's what are, are to fire you up. We're at good courage, he said, because in the body we're away from the Lord. He says, as a matter of fact, because we're away from the Lord, in our sinful body, we have to walk by faith, not by sight. Why? We can't see him yet because of our sinful body. As long as this tent's on us, isn't it funny? You know what Paul's really saying? And I'm not saying that we're reckless with our body. This is not telling anybody, going to see the Lord is so wonderful, I'm going to stand in the middle of the highway as soon as this Bible study's over. That's not what we're talking about because that's sin. We're not supposed to do that. That's not our call. What every single person that is the example to us said about their life after redemption is, I'm good with going on to the Lord, but it's his call, and I, won't, I will not be disobedient. If he Look, Paul's in, talking to the Philippians. He tells the Philippians, I really would rather just go on. But he said, but if the Lord wills that I stay alive through this imprisonment so I can keep serving you, then fine. So if you're not dead, it's because God says, I want you to keep working. I want you to keep being sanctified. I want you to keep being a disciple and making disciples. So that's why you're not dead. The only reason you're alive is to do something to glorify God. And when I think that's over, I'll, I'll draw you to me, and that'll be your reward. And so that's the way that we live our lives. It actually makes me living more exciting to know this isn't all there is. Let me, let me see how I can make this count. We're going to get to that here in a minute on why. Uh, and, and, and so, but I know this isn't how it ends. 
Think about that. I want you to think about that. If we get, if you can just get in your mind, we're clinging to the very thing that is keeping us from fully experiencing God. We say anything, you know. Just you know, I, I think about this all the time. I, I, I'm sad that I don't have my dad with me. I'm sad that I don't have my son with me. I'm sad that my grandmother, I don't get to keep talking to her, my granddad, and fill in the blank of all those that have gone on before me. But the ones that I know without a shadow of a doubt are redeemed, I don't feel bad for them at all. It's poor me, not poor them. You know, they're thinking, man, I hope, I hope Rick gets to us at some point. We don't want to go back to where he was. So, so or where he is. So, so anyway, so he wants us to know that. He says, so we're walking by faith right now with the tent on us, not by sight. Look at eight. Yes, he repeats it. We are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. That's where we'd rather be. So here's Paul saying that if, if, if I would rather be away from the body, because that means I would be at home with the Lord, then he's telling us, when I leave my body, I'm home with the Lord. So if you want to know what happened to somebody you love, if they were redeemed, when they left their body, they're home with the Lord. Why? Because that's what the Bible says. They're not disembodied spirits, spirits, and they're not asleep. They're in the presence of the Lord. Are they in the final heaven? No. Will we all be ushered into the final heaven together? Yes. Do they have their resurrection body? No. Do they have a body? Yes. Who made that body? Paul says God with his own hands. He designed it. He's not against the body. He's against a sinful body. And so that's what he wants you to know. And then he says, so whether we're at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. There it is. What do I do with my life? Uh, am I just sitting up on the mountaintop? You know, the resurrection body is a spiritual body, but a body all the same. Paul says that we will have a covering for the soul between our death and resurrection. It will be replaced by our resurrection body at the rapture, uh, at the day of the Lord. If you don't believe that, go read 1 Corinthians 15 again. Uh, you know, and if you want to know what that body would be like, I think Jesus' example when he came back after the resurrection would be a good indication. You know, it could go through walls. It uh, it didn't have to eat, but it ate anyway because it just for the joy of it. And he also ate, so he would show them that he really was real. It says it was. He said, it, remember, he said it was like we touched him. It was like flesh and bone. It didn't say flesh and blood. It said flesh and bone. It had some structure to it, but it could move through walls. It could do whatever it wanted to do. But we recognized it was him. And, and, uh, and so, so he, he repeats that again, that we keep groaning for something more, something permanent, and, 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 and it's hampered by our mortality. Uh, we, we, we like the rapture, but, 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 but we groan about it because even though, and this is true, even though we're, this whole battle we're in right now with our body, if we were honest, is we know that to be with the Lord is better we know this body is nothing but problematic for us, but this groaning is this this kind of we're we're unsure. Like I told you about on the airplane that time, we thought we were all going to crash. I love what Lee Moore said; it was the most honest thing. I'm not afraid to die. I'm just not crazy about the process. You know, are we going to be some ball of fire here? Am I going to lose a limb and bleed to death out in the middle of a pasture? It, we fear death, not fear to be out of this body. We fear the process of death. 
Certainly we do. And that's this groaning. We're, we, we know we want to leave this body, but we're not quite sure how it's going to be. How will we leave this body? We're unsure. And Paul says, here's the thing you just need to rest on. However it happens, God's going to see you through it. And however it happens, you'll put away this tent. And what awaits on us is far better. But until then, we, we keep our hope through faith. And then he goes on to say, which we'll get to, uh, what we should be doing if he's decided he hasn't taken us yet. So it says, this is a guarantee by God himself. There's no such thing as soul sleep. It's a guarantee. I know that when I leave my body, I'll be with the Lord because that's God's guarantee. So then he gets into, in in, in verse 6, the great challenge. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord, for we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. But look at this in 9. So whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. Please him. We actually have something to look forward to in death, and that's the Lord. Uh, Right now, we're absent from the Lord. The body was wonderfully made by God. During our days of exile, we walk by faith. Think about that. Paul's saying the time that we're in in our body is really like the Hebrews when they were in exile. They just had to walk by faith. They had to look for, they had trust that the Lord would take care of them. That's where we are while we're in this tent. It's faith, not by sight. But we have the exodus coming that we leave our body but we will be in the presence of the Lord. We should not fear death. And then verse 9, a new view of the duty. Because isn't that what we want to know? Why in the world am I not dead yet? Why is God keeping me here? Only the Bible tells you. The Bible tells you what? Who made you? Why made you? Okay. Who am I? Where did I come from? And why am I here? Well, here's why you're here, to please him. So how do we please him? Jesus said if we loved him, we obeyed his commands. Jesus said that we are to be disciples and to make disciples. Jesus gave us all kinds of analogies of what what we should be doing while he is gone. The words here in the original Greek, you know what it says when it says to please him? In the original Greek, listen, this is important because it's going to take us to something we've talked in here. I've had some of you tell me at our meetings together and our lunches, some of you have said this thing... In this Bible study, the one thing I've learned that I really did not know is about, I, I, I did not know about the Bema Seat of Christ. I didn't understand about why we should be doing anything and why it's important. I did not know that everybody's experience in the presence of the Lord, even the redeemed, is going to be the same. That we are called to be seeking, and what the word in Greek means here that we're saying to please him, the original Greek phrase here means to seek honor. I, I want to be honored by Christ. I'm seeking to be honored. It's to have a, and here, here's the word that John Phillips used that I loved, the way we should live our lives is to have a holy ambition. I like that. A holy ambition. You know, people always talk about, i tell you one thing, he's ambitious. For what? Him or herself? Worldly applause? Just because you're ambitious doesn't mean it's good. Do you have a holy ambition? Meaning, my ambition is to please the Lord. My ambition is to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. I have a holy ambition. Or do we have a self-serving ambition? What's in it for me? Well, 
Jesus has already accomplished what's in it for us, and that is a glorious perfection of eternity and to have everything we've ever done against a holy God to be wiped away. I ran into that talking to a guy the other day, and he was doing some of this legal smeagol about people who, you know, like all of us, you know, have had sin in in our in our lives, and, and it was almost like he was picking and choosing certain sins that God was not going to forgive. Um, and and I said, so let let me ask. I just want to ask you this. So you're telling me that these people that before they knew Christ had a certain behavior, and when they came to know Christ, they changed that behavior. They were completely reconciled to a holy God by Jesus himself. They now live a life of integrity. Are you saying they weren't made fully righteous? That there was, They could only get partial righteousness? Jesus said, well, I can only go so far with this behavior that you had. Uh, I can only change you to a certain degree. And he said, well, no, I guess I don't believe that. I said, well, it sounds like you do. Were they not made fully pure? Did everything that they'd done in their past, was it all wiped away or just some of it? And, and, and there's no doubt the Bible says, now look at this person to see if they have integrity. Do you see the fruit of Jesus in them? But if you do, then it appears that the only person that's still holding this sin against them is you. Because God's not. And who are you to stand in the way and declare them not fully righteous? If the Lord Jesus Christ has declared you fully righteous, I couldn't care less what a human being thinks about you. Now, should we live out a life that they don't see inconsistencies and confused about our claim? Yes. But if you're living a life of integrity, just because somebody knows what you did and they keep holding that against you, that's on them. Because he says, I make you fully righteous. Did you know, I don't know if I ever told you all this, and I don't want to get into try to be weird or you ever sometimes been around some people, and I love them, and they're members of our faith, and, and you say, you know, one of the reasons why people don't want what we are is because they're around you, and frankly, you're weird. Okay? And, and so, I, you know, I, you know, it's, you know we don't, let's not be weird with it. Okay? Let, let's be consistent with it. Let's be strong with it. Let's be unapologetic about it. Let's be kind. Let's be loving. Let's be serving. But let's don't be weird. Okay? And, and so, and so what, one of the things, so I don't want to go around saying, overplaying this, you know, I had a dream and God told me something in a dream. And, and I'm not saying that never happens. I know that it does, you know, but some people, every time you see them, it seems like that just happened every, you know, every other week. But, but, and, and I'm not sure, that, you know, some, I always question that just a little bit, but, and I don't need those things, but I, I don't know if, I, I don't know if I was struggling with my own sin or maybe I was being judgmental, but I can just remember it. I got up and, and Sherry and I were sitting around. We love to sit there and every now and then you can remember dreams. Other times you can't. And I said, I had the weirdest dream last night. And she said, what, did, what was it? I said, in the dream, I could just hear a voice screaming at me. I don't make you partially righteous. I make you fully righteous. I don't do partial righteous. I do fully righteous. And I said, I just kept hearing that over and over in my head. And I said, and it woke me up. I mean, I woke up with that. And she said, well, I'd take a note of that. You know, that's, I mean, wherever it came from, it's true. You know, and so maybe you need to be reminded of that. And and so we need to be reminded of that. And that what that's what Paul was saying. He goes, yes, we're in exile, but we're going to have an exodus and it's going to be to perfection. And in the meantime, isn't that the key? Isn't that, if you're honest, don't you want to know that? I got where I'm going. I got where I've been. Now what? Please the Lord. 
Do what he says. Solomon came to that conclusion, and he tried everything to the highest degree. You know what I found interesting I never caught before because I used that at Dad's memorial service, if you haven't seen it and or you weren't there. I had never seen the part. I guess I just missed it. I had the part where Solomon said the whole role of man is to fear God and do what he says. But I'd never missed when Solomon was getting the words from his daddy, David, and David had a lot of things he regretted, as I'm sure we all do. I know I do. I never picked up. Now think about it. We have the manchurch.com rolling, and I've let this get by me. This, this, ought, to be, this ought to be at the forefront. Now we have said that if you really want to be a man, follow Jesus. That's the example of how to be a man when God became one. We've said that. But David looks at Solomon, and he's trying to warn him, don't do the things I did. Don't make the mistakes that I made. And I never picked up that he says, be a man, obey God. So David said, if you want to be a man, Solomon, obey God. By not obeying God, you'll never be a man. And then Solomon finally gets there uh, after not listening to Dad. I know none of us have ever done that. And, uh, and he finally realizes, really, if you want to think about it, Solomon there is saying, Dad was right. I should have just done what God said and never veered away from his plan. That's the whole role of mankind. And I've tried it all. Everything else is a vapor. And here is the Apostle Paul telling the church to do the same thing. Men and women. Please God. And um, to seek his honor, to have a holy ambition. Have you ever heard the term, and I, and I talked to Andy Blanks yesterday, he's actually going to preach on this at our conference in Birmingham, and I said, please preach on that. That is something that confuses people. It will be beautiful. And he's going to preach on seek first the kingdom of God. And so, you know, sometimes we hear that. What does that really mean? Well, Paul's really telling you. I don't mean to give away Andy's message, but, but what, what he's saying is, have a holy ambition, seek to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, think about the things of God and what he says first. Let that be at the forefront of your life. Not, not I do everything else first and then I fall back to, well, that's not really like the kingdom of God. That's not what God said. So then he says, why? I love this. Why should we seek to please God? And he, and he doesn't leave us hanging on that. Verse 10 and 11. For we must all appear, underline all, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. This is, this, now look, this is not the great white throne because we won't appear before you. The redeemed. This is the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat. And Paul himself says, now we're all going to appear before that one. And that includes the church. That includes the redeemed. And now keep in mind, he's saying this right after he just said in 9, what? We make it our aim, our holy ambition, to please him for, because we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And he's going to deal with how we handled our redemption. I want you to think about this. It, it, I want you to imagine what this is going to be. And he did so many teachings on this when he was walking among us. 
when he was doing all these things about the workers not doing what they were told, and then the master comes back, and what have you done with them? And then they went and they killed his son. And he's telling us over and over again, once you've been given the gift of me, what have you done with it? And you're going to be held accountable for that. Doesn't mean you can be cast into hell, okay? But we will all be held accountable for what we did. Think about something. I mean, can you imagine? Do you remember... Um, and I, look, for some of you out there, if you're, and I agree, it's a terribly violent movie. The language is awful. I will acknowledge that, but it has a redeeming message, and that is saving Private Ryan. At the end of Private Ryan's life, that all these people died to get him home, he looks at his family and he says, basically, was I worth it? Did my life count of anything? These men died for me. Did they get anything in return? Have I been a good father? Have I been a good husband? Have I been a good man? Was I worth them dying for? And really what's happening here is Paul is saying, Jesus Christ put on human flesh, lowered himself, was spat upon, crown of thorns, suffering servant, lived with nowhere to lay his head, was crucified on a cross, tortured and beaten for us, for our redemption. He took the wrath of God that was due to us, and he's going to take every one of us and put us in front of him, and he's going to say, did you abuse the grace that I provided? Did you just keep it to yourself? Did you ever go out and make disciples? Did you ever go and... And, and, and when he talks about it in Matthew, you know, he's talking about those that did not give me food when I wanted it or needed it. You didn't give me clothing. You didn't give me water. You didn't come see me in prison. You, you didn't care. Did, did you care enough that people were dying and going to hell that you did what I told you to do? It was the last thing I said to be disciples, make disciples, teach people everything I have commanded, and I'm standing here here in front of you. You know I know the answer, and today I'm going to give and take away parts of, of, of this celebration and your reward. Some of your reward will be taken away or more reward you will be given based on what you did. And if you were somebody that just took redemption and then you went off and had no desire to get in the game and took it to yourself and hid it away and then tried to go on with your life knowing that you weren't going to hell and the fact that I had kept you out of hell was good enough for you and you couldn't care less if it benefited anybody else, I've got something I'm going to say to you today and your existence with me here in eternity will be different than the Apostle Paul. Amen. It will not be the same. Now, you're not going to hell. It's not, he's not talking about that. But he is, he is talking about rewards in heaven. This is out of Scripture. This is not one of those things you can go, I don't know about that. I mean, it, it's right here. You know why you know this is it? Because the redeemed do not appear in front of the great white throne. And Paul says, well, you're going to appear for this one. He says that's why you need to live your life to please the Lord. Do you think he's telling people that because he's afraid they'll lose their redemption? No. Remember when I told you all this? And that was when I, I talked to some of the guys I had lunch with the other day. They said the wake-up call is when you got you begin to explain that Paul's talking about a lot of things that he's going to do and he continues to do, and he's certainly not doing them for redemption. He's doing them for well done. I will receive the crown of righteousness. He's not saying I did this so I'll be redeemed. He knows he's redeemed. 
And, and so what, what he's saying is we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body after redemption, whether that was good or evil. So then he goes into the final thing we'll talk about before we go. Therefore, I was taught very well by those who who were discipling me. If you look at the word therefore, find out what it's there for. There you go. A little nod. Therefore, what? What does that mean? Look back what he said before. Therefore, since we're going to appear before Jesus, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. You know what he's saying is, you know how that would go today if you were there. You know that. I may not know it, but you know it. And then he says, what did he say that we use to persuade others? Now, this is good. Here comes counterculture. This is where, the, you know, the Apostle Paul, I, can you imagine some of the Western churches? If all of a sudden we have a special event this Sunday night, the Apostle Paul, how many of you think I, there there is a alarming number of churches that if the Apostle Paul preached in them on a Sunday, we'd never see him again. They'd never bring him back. Because here's what he's saying. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. That means we need to tell people why they need to be redeemed. We're back to the fear of the Lord again. It's important that we understand that God is to be feared. Why? Back to what Jesus said, back to what Paul's talking about. He is con in control of what's going to happen to you when you die. Human beings aren't, but he is. Should I fear people? No. You've heard me say it. I, miss, I, I, I got to miss him again the other day, Steve Ferrar. I miss Steve. And um, he said, never fear people that God has to allow to breathe. Okay, so I don't. But fear God. He's worthy of fear. And then people say, well, you don't need to be. The problem is when we take away, Paul's instructing us. He just told us to get back out there and start caring about people, to be looking for rewards in heaven. And the first thing he tells us to remind them of is to fear God. Why? Because if I don't fear God, I don't care about redemption. Right? Remember using that analogy? You know, if, 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 if you said to me, hey, I'm just going to tell you something. I don't think you need to be drinking out of this bottle of water here next to you. And I'm like, and you're like, just tell me. I just don't think you should. Is there a reason? No, I just, it'd be, it would be better for you not to. Okay. So, so it's just a good decision? Yep, that would be the best thing for you. There'll be a lot of joy in your life if you won't drink out of that bottle. But what if all of a sudden you said, let me tell you the peace that I've got for you. I can guarantee that you'll never drink out of that bottle. Okay, well, why should I not drink out of the bottle? Because if you do, you're going to die. If you drink out of that bottle, you're going to die forever. You'll be in eternal damnation, and you'll be screaming and groaning and crying for it to end. It'll never end. See, I'm looking at the bottle of water a lot different now. Okay, and I want to know, is, is there a substitution for this bottle of water? And then you go, yes, there is. And if you drink of it, you'll never die. Well, I want to know what that other drink is. I want that living water. But you had to convince me that this water would kill me. 
You have my attention now. Now, is it true that all I should ever do is go around telling people they're going to die if they drink out of the bottle of water and never tell them the solution? No, I shouldn't do that either. But the balance should be there. And, and so Paul even says, I'd lead with the fear of the Lord. Right? I mean, how would you feel if I walked out and I said, I'd like for you to get out of the car? And I'm here to, to talk to you about getting out of the car. And you're like, I don't know. I might not want to get out of the car. I kind of like being in the car. I'm telling you, I think it'd be a better life for you if you'd get out of the car. And then finally you go, why? I say, because it's about to explode in about 10 seconds. Well, I bet you'd get out of the car then, wouldn't you? Huh? And then you say, where are we going? I said, we're not in this car. I'll tell you that. Because it's going to blow up. Why are we so afraid to understand? That seems like such a logical statement that I just made. People don't understand the wonder of grace and mercy if they don't understand the wrath and judgment. So preach them both. Don't just preach one. Preach them both. And, and so that's exactly what Paul told us. And he says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. With what? The fear of the Lord. But what, but what we are is already known to God. He said, now, while you're persuading others about the fear of God, I hope you have it too. Because God knows everything about you. And he said, I hope it is known also to your conscience. What does he mean by that? Because we're going to end on that. We've got to get to the point to where we see things the way God does. He said, see, if God is upset about it, but you're not, you may not correct it. You see, if you don't fear the Lord, first of all, I want you to fear the Lord. And part of fearing the Lord is I want to know what he expects of me. Right? You know, I, I, I have a lot of fun talking about my dad when he's an authoritative figure. When people came on the team, and those of us that had already been on one of his teams, if you were smart, you would ask this, what upsets him? Don't do that. My dad wants to walk on the field today and introduce himself during practice. Don't do that. Okay? Okay, so my dad should ask for a meeting. Yes, don't have him come walk on the field. Well, what if all of a sudden I didn't think somebody's dad walking out in the middle of practice was a big deal? That I might just let somebody walk right out there and then the, the, the fear of, of Coach Burgess comes down on them. So we have to get our conscience to line up with God. What does that mean? It doesn't really matter if you and I think it's a big deal if he does. If he thinks it's a big deal, then we should too. Amen. Be sure your conscience lines up with God. Fear the Lord enough that you think and see things the way he does. Get to know him so much and who he is that you can walk in step with him. And that can only be provided by the power of the Holy Spirit that is available to each and every person that repents. Yes, the wrath of God is coming on all those who reject him. Spirit or human. But the good news is the gospel. Reconciliation is provided through Jesus Christ. So when that tent dies, you could be in the presence of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today, and, and thank you so much for this incredible message from the Apostle Paul. Also, thank you for the reassurance of absence of this tent is in the presence of the Holy of Holies. And thank you, Lord, for coming here and taking on human flesh and suffering on our behalf. Thank you, Lord, for taking the wrath of God that is to be feared so that those of us that have been redeemed have been made fully righteous, fully reconciled back to the holy, 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 holy God that created us. Help us, Lord, 
to please you by the conviction and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for the joy and the hope of today's message. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for being with us.